Hello and welcome to Reading Between the Lines, the story podcast from the People's Friend in association with the Oddfellows. Each episode, a few of us from the Friend team delve into our archives to find a story to read and then sit down for a wee chat about it. So, make yourself a cuppa, pull up a chair and come join us. This episode, we're reading The Film Star and Her Double by Dorothy Pollock. First published on the 22nd of February, 1930. Reading the story is friend features editor Alex. Over to Alex. Joan Whitson stood in front of the post office and watched, with a twinkle of amusement in her dark eyes, the unusual animation of the village street. Generally so deserted at this time of early evening, it positively hummed now with an undercurrent of excitement. And the cause of it all was the slim, small girl who strolled so casually down the centre, smiling and nodding now and again as she caught sight of a familiar face. Three years ago, Elsie Bennett had been a typist who had gone to a good post in London. A pretty enough girl, certainly, but simply Elsie Bennett, daughter of old Joe Bennett, of no particular claim to fame. Now she was back, no longer Elsie Bennett, but Elise Benet, film star. Elise Benet, whose features were threatening to become as popular as those of Gloria Swanson or the Talmadge sisters. No wonder the village stared. She came sauntering on slowly, savouring to the full the glory, the admiration that was hers. In London, Elise was certainly regarded as a coming name. But in London, after all, there is a plethora of pretty girls and famous people. Here, in this quiet village where she had been born, she was creating a sensation which was a balm to her questing heart. Elise loved power, she loved admiration, and it was here at her feet. Joan. Joan Whitson! How, how nice to see you! Elise stopped as she reached the girl by the post office and held out her hand. I do hope you haven't forgotten me already. Joan laughed, taking the slim hand in its pale-coloured glove into her own sunburned palm. Of course not, how could I? Besides, aren't you the village prodigy of whom we are all so proud? But I'm awfully glad to see you again. Are you staying long? I'm not quite sure. Elise looked critically at the girl before her. She reflected complacently that Joan, who had never been a beauty, had become even plainer in the past three years. Elise remembered that once she had actually envied this girl, not for her looks, but for her assured position. Now the tables were turned, with a vengeance. I hope you'll stay long enough to come and see us, Joan went on cordially, her eyes upon the lovely face on a level with her own. Won't you come and spend an evening? Thanks. I'd like to, if I have time, but... She lowered her voice impressively. But I may not. You see, I'm really here to do part of my next big picture. One of the scenes is to be shot here. My director is coming up tomorrow, and after he has had a look around, the rest of the cast and the staff will come too. Marvellous chance, isn't it, for a quaint little place like this? Elise's voice expressed ineffable condescension, and the twinkle returned to Joan's eyes. Only three years away, and already a native place was quaint. I don't suppose you could push me into one of your crowd scenes, Joan suggested laughingly. 
Don't you have to have a bunch of Aboriginal natives to give the correct atmosphere? Elise stiffened. Her extravagant sense of her own dignity admitted no lightning of humour, and this looked as though Joan were actually daring to laugh at her. I'm afraid you would hardly suit, she said coldly. Uh, by the way, Joan, is it the case that you've taken my old post in Graham's? Typing, I mean. Quite true, answered Joan quietly. Since Daddy died, I have to earn my living, and Mr Graham has been very kind to me. I live with my aunt now. How I loathe those dry, legal things, Elise sighed at the bare recollection. But then you probably love it, don't you? You don't long, as I did, for the bigger world. Joan shrugged faintly, but let the statement pass unchallenged. Elise had always been given to little affectations, and time had not changed her in this one respect, at least. I'm afraid I shall have to hurry on, Elise. Conscious of a vague feeling of dislike which was growing up in her mind, Joan strove to make her voice cordial. We have supper early. You'll phone me, won't you, if you find you've an hour to spare any time? Joan found herself clasping Elise's beautifully gloved hand somewhere high up in midair, and they parted. Joan to walk with unnecessary swiftness towards home. She was astonished to find that the vague dislike threatened to become concrete, and that speedily. Joan reasoned with herself. She was not, as a rule, given to prejudice, but a faint intangible patronage in the other girl's manner had definitely ruffled her. Elsie Bennett to patronise her. Of course Elsie was very lovely. Joan, catching sight of her own reflection in a passing window, grimaced slightly. What a contrast. That there might be something very attractive in her own frank gaze and her jolly laugh, Joan never even considered. She was not pretty and she accepted the fact without a grumble. Only Elsie, somehow, seemed to bring the matter home to her very strongly. Hello, Joan. Why this spanking pace? A tall young man overtook her, and Donald Graham, son of old Mr Graham, lawyer and banker, fell into stride by her side. Is your conscience chasing you? Joan smiled up at him. I believe it is, she laughed. And Donald, I do wish you'd get into the habit of calling me Miss Whitson. You know, it doesn't do to call me Joan in the office. And you're always forgetting. Sorry, Graham looked, nevertheless, quite unrepentant. But since I've called you Joan for about 23 years, it's a bit difficult to start Miss Whitson now. By the way, what about the rugby dance next week? You're coming with me as usual, aren't you? Joan nodded acquiescence. For the last five years, she had gone to this dance as Donald's partner, just as they went to all the other village functions. They might almost have been an exceptionally friendly brother and sister, and Miss Whitson, Joan's aunt, who with old Mr Graham had hoped for some nearer relationship to develop between the young folks, had been obliged to admit that nothing seemed more unlikely, at least in the meantime. They swung along together in the silence of friendship until the man stopped at a corner. I'm going down to Mason's. Look here, I'll bring round that book tonight. I may be a bit late though. Will it matter? Not a bit. We're not doing anything special this evening anyhow. Joan quickened her pace again when she was alone and turned up the road which led her home. Then she stopped in astonishment. In front of her, walking slowly, was Elise Benet. Elise turned at the sound of footsteps and smiled at Joan. Are you thinking I've got the seven-leagued boots? She laughed. I cut through back lane to try and catch you. I was wondering. I suddenly remembered that I'm at a loose end tonight. 
and wondered if I might accept your invitation and come to see you this evening. Why, of course, Elise, Joan succeeded in infusing a warmth into her voice that she knew she was far from feeling. Won't you come now and have supper with us? She introduced the visitor to Miss Whitson and bit back a smile at the old lady's frigid reception. Miss Whitson regarded the actress much in the same way as she regarded criminals, with suspicion, and all Elise Benet's airs and graces were powerless to charm her. It was a positive relief when, later in the evening, they were joined by Donald Graham. Donald was first favourite with the old lady and she thawed visibly. So too did Elise. She dropped most of her artificiality and began to laugh over reminiscences of old times with him. Do you still begin those dreadful documents, whereas the so-and-so? How I used to hate them. I still dream of the old days when I'm having nightmares. Oh, come now, Donald, his fair head thrown back in protesting laughter, admiration in his usually so serious eyes, turned to Joan. Tell her we aren't all hoodoos, Joan. Stick up for me. Elise shook her short curls. You weren't bad at all. The work was. Don't you hate it, Joe? No, said Joan honestly. I believe I rather like it. But then you're one of the lucky ones, Elise sighed wistfully. I happen to be cursed with the artistic temperament, and it's not a happy possession. Then why cultivate it? interposed Miss Whitson rather caustically in her deep voice. Why? Because I can't help it. One has to do the things one is born for. It was no good to chain me down to an office stool when acting was my destiny, though how I tried to avoid it. Miss Whitson emitted a sound rather like a snort, but Donald Graham looked at the girl with new interest in his eyes. Somehow I never thought of you as being a square peg in a round hole, he said thoughtfully. Upon my word, it was jolly plucky of you grinding away all those years with us as you did. Elise smiled at him gratefully and let her big eyes rest upon his. I always remember how kind you were to me, she said softly. I could never forget that. Joan, watching, felt a sudden inexplicable pang shoot through her. Was it possible that she was jealous? The idea was inconceivable, but Joan knew that the evening with Donald, which should have been so pleasant, was proving a failure to her. She was outside all this conversation between the other two, shut out, it almost seemed deliberately, by Elise's cleverly timed flood of reminiscent chatter. Elise was talking of the old days. She asked about the rugby dance. Was it still held? How she had always loved to go. Donald swallowed the bait with alacrity. Then what about coming to it next week? I'm taking Joan, of course. And if you like, I'll get another man and we can make up a party. You'd like that too, Joan, wouldn't you? Love it! fibbed Joan gallantly. One had no option but to say those polite untruths. Do come, Elise. Elise agreed gracefully. She rose to go and Donald followed suit in order to see her home. Joan saw them off and returned to the sitting room where her aunt was putting up the disordered cards. She's deep and she's clever, commented the old lady briefly, and she's flattering Donald until he's almost blinded by it. Men are like children, but I thought Donald Graham had his head screwed on better than most. But a pretty face and a flowery tongue, and there you are. Though she hasn't done any serious damage yet. Now go to bed, Joan. You look tired. Sleep was long in coming to Joan that night, and when it came, illumination had come before it. 
Joan knew now what that ache at her heart meant. It was jealousy, not of Donald as a brother, but as the man she loved. The rugby dance came round in due course and they went as a party of four. Donald was as attentive as ever to Joan. He talked to her as of old, telling her all the little difficulties he had been wont to confide in her and adding to the list his opinion of Elise Benet. So unspoiled, he said seriously, and such a deep nature. She tells me he held forth at considerable length and Joan smiled with stiff lips and gallantly hid the writhing pain at her heart. Donald was not actually in love with Elise, yet, but Elise meant to have him, and Joan shivered. The only comfort she got out of the evening was the casual remark of Elise that her director was coming the following day, and she expected to begin work soon. Two days later, a happening arose, so sudden and so overwhelming that Joan actually forgot all about her own and Elise's affairs altogether. Miss Whitson turned ill. The doctor saw her. He said little, but returned the next day and murmured words about a specialist from Glasgow. A great man came from town, and within the next 24 hours, Miss Whitson was in a Glasgow nursing home, ready to undergo a serious operation, and Joan had returned to the village alone. Dazed at first, she sat in a deserted house. They had sent her back, telling her it was better so, and that if necessary, they would telephone through for her. Joan sat very still, trying to think. And then the burden of her thoughts was money, money. How was she to pay for this operation, for the nursing home? Miss Whitson's own income was pitifully small and Joan's salary was swallowed up in household expenses. There was no margin left for emergencies of this sort, but the money must be found somehow. A gleam of sunlight flickered across the floor and reminded Joan of the fresh air. She put on her hat and went out. She was not going to the office today. Mr Graham had told her to stay off and she could think better out of doors. If only Donald had been at home. But he was away on business for a few days. Joan thought longingly of his strength and kindness. Only, she thought, I couldn't very well have asked him about the money. It wouldn't have done. She'd walked for several miles when she found herself nearing the deep blue loch whose water swept in from the firth. Stop, please! An imperative voice caused her to start sharply, and Joan looked up to see a small man standing upon an improvised platform of rough logs. Would you mind going around another way? We're shooting a scene here, and everything is all set. Oh, uh, is this where Miss Binet is? Faint interest brought Joan's mind back to everyday events. Are you her director? I thought I was, returned the man shortly, but it doesn't seem to mean much to her. Look here, are you a native of this place? Yes, Joan looked at him in astonishment. Yes, why? Then perhaps you'll be able to tell me definitely whether or not it's safe to swim across the loch from that crag there. Miss Binet says it's not and refuses to budge an inch. And so we're all here, with expenses mounting hand over fist. It's enough to... The end of the sentence was lost in his pipe, but his expression was clear enough. Joan looked at the loch. She had swum it herself many a time, but not when its waters were swollen by the influx of so much fresh water from the hills. One or two of the burns were running as strongly as rivers. Well, I'm afraid it might be dangerous, she said slowly. The bracken burn is always strong, and just now it's running like a river. 
But if we had a boat just outside of the range of the camera, protested the man eagerly, wouldn't that be safe enough? We'd be able to reach her in a couple of minutes if she needed help. But she won't hear of it. And nobody knows when it will be quiet enough for her. I tell you, what with expenses of the whole outfit mounting, I'd give £50 to anybody who'd do the job for her. But how could they? How? Because her face needn't be seen until she reaches the other side. And then Elise would be ready to take over. All we want is someone with the same kind of figure. Look here, he eyed her with sudden interest. Would you do it? I'd give you a cheque for £50 the minute you landed. And we'd follow you the whole way with a boat so there'd be no risk. Joan gasped. £50? The money for Aunt Mary's operation. But suppose she really did take cramp or something. I'll make it 70 if you take it on. The man was watching her expression keenly. And you'll be as safe as can be. I'll do it, said Joan abruptly. When do you want me to start? Good girl, that's right. Better just do it now when you're on the spot. At least I'll give you the costume for the part. And listen now, here's what you're supposed to be doing. He walked towards the hut with her, explaining all the time. Remember that your lover will be caught if you don't reach the other side in time. You've just got to make it. And if you can manage to express that with your actions, then that's all that's wanted. I'll direct you through the megaphone and tell you when to falter, just about the middle, and act exhausted at the end. They had reached the hut and rapped on the door. Here, Elise, here's someone who'll double for you in the swim. Get her into the togs, please, quick. Elise Benet looked at Joan, peak struggling with amusement in her eyes. You, Joan? Of all people? Oh, all right then, she shrugged, closed the door and proceeded to show Joan the clothes. Though why he should choose you to double for me? Joan ignored the spiteful implication. Our figures are alike, she said coolly, and robed herself as rapidly as she could. I'm ready now. The director was awaiting them outside. He looked nervous and relieved when Joan appeared. Ready? That's fine. Then remember your instructions. Now, Mickey, begin to shoot when she reaches the crag. Joan climbed up the high crag which jutted out into the lock. Seen from above, the waters were a steely grey. Just for an instant, her courage wavered. Suppose... Ready? Go! The command sent Joan's arms up automatically, and her slim body shot like an arrow through the air. Oh, it was cold. Joan rose to the surface, gasping painfully. Carry on! Straight across! The shout reached her dizzying brain and steadied it. Right, she would carry on. After the first few strokes, it was not so bad. There was even a faint warmth upon her head and neck from the sun, which struggled overhead. Joan swam strongly, her white arms rising and falling with the precision of a machine. After all, why had she been frightened? It was easier than she had expected. It seemed a long time, though, before the command to falter and show signs of weakness came to her. Obediently, Joan allowed her stroke to slacken and felt a surge of chill creep over her as she floated motionless for a few seconds. Was it really possible, she asked herself, puzzled, that after all this time she was only halfway across? She tried to look ahead. Yes, she was no more than halfway, but she was not now heading for the point towards which she had started. Joan frowned and looked behind her. The crag from which she had dived seemed to have moved some distance up the bank. 
It was stupid to have lost her direction like this. Joan swam with renewed vigour, striving to make up some of the leeway. There were no shouted messages reaching her now. Joan supposed she was too far out. She swam on mechanically for some minutes before once again she glanced behind her for the crag. And then it was that sheer, stark fear gripped her. She had not made up the leeway. Instead, the crag had receded still further north. The bracken burn. Its swollen current must be bearing her off her course. Joan relaxed her efforts for a moment and watched herself being borne downwards. She struggled frantically to pull against the current, but though she succeeded in making headway towards the other side, yet still the force of the fresh water drove her southwards. Joan began to feel tired. The icy water was making her limbs heavy with cold. She could not fight her way across against this river. It seemed as though it would pull her the whole length of the lock before she could reach the opposite shore. To fail meant losing the money, but to go on meant, almost certainly, losing consciousness through exhaustion and chill. She decided to give in and signal the boat. Joan raised an arm which had grown dreadfully heavy with fatigue. She waved and waited, expecting to hear the chug-chug of a motor, but only silence. Again she waved, and this time looked towards the crag from which she had dived. But in all the length and breadth of the lock, there was no sign whatever of a boat. No boat? That meant no help. There was nothing for it now but to go forward. To go back would be worse. Joan judged that she must be two-thirds through the current by now. She must fight the last breath in her body. The cold was numbing her now. She pushed on mechanically. One, two, three, four. Would she ever reach the bank? How could that man have broken his word about the boat? And why had she allowed the excitement to prevent her from noticing its absence at the start? Joan found herself laughing a funny cracked laugh when she thought of Elise. How would she feel when told that her double was dead? And Donald Graham? Would he feel sorry or only thankful that it was Joan and not Elise? She gave up swimming and began to float. She was too tired to bother any further and she would just drift for a few moments. Then, suddenly, out of nowhere came the thought of Aunt Mary. If Joan died, what would become of her? Would this man pay the £70? But of course he wouldn't. And how would Aunt Mary live on her small income? Desperation sent a surge of new strength through Joan at the thought. She simply daren't drown. She must get through. She must. Little black specks began to float before her eyes. There was a pain in her side like a red-hot iron each time she breathed. Hi! Hi! Look out for that rock! Weakly, Joan opened her eyes and saw a rock jutting out of the water in front of her. She clung to it, feeling cautiously for a foothold. That's right! Only another few yards! Now don't collapse yet! Remember how much depends upon you! Feebly, Joan achieved another few strokes and found her feet touching a pebbly bottom. So much depended upon her. Aunt Mary. The money. She staggered into shallower water and felt someone catch hold of her and lift her bodily. Someone wrapped a furry coat around her and she was carried into the warmth of a closed motor car. Now, drink this. A voice, it seemed absurdly like Donald Graham's, spoke peremptorily. And finding it too much trouble to refuse, Joan swallowed obediently. Now, Miss Binet, get those wet things off her and get her into something dry. The hot liquid sent a welcome warmth through Joan's chilled limbs, 
and she opened her eyes to see Elise Benet holding out her dry clothes. Elise looked white and shaken, but Joan was too tired still to bother. She managed to struggle out of her soaked garments with Elise's help and get into the others. Then it was that the first voice came back and spoke again. Now, Joan, drink a little more. This time, consciousness came back fully. Joan looked up into the worried eyes of Donald Graham as he held a flask to her lips. Donald, uh, how did you get here? I was on my way home when I saw you staggering into shallow water. I just got to you where you were falling. Oh, Joan, darling, how could you do such a reckless thing? You might have drowned. Had you forgotten the danger? I... The man said there'd be a boat near, and I needed the money for for Aunt Mary. Why didn't you come to me? You knew I'd have given you every penny I had in the world. You might have been drowned. The arm about her shoulder tightened. There was no boat on the lock, and the director says he hadn't realised that until he had started. I've told him exactly what I consider him. Donald's voice was grim. Oh, darling, I never realised just what you meant to me until that awful moment. Joan, Joan. Say you will marry me, and do not do these reckless things again. I suppose, said Joan weakly, that that I won't have time. It was a very sheepish director who came to give Joan her cheque and to make his apologies, but he bubbled into enthusiasm over the end. It was perfect. You're a born actress. Why, I could see you just feel that you simply didn't give up and let yourself drown. It was the best acting I've seen in my life. If you'll take a contract. Miss Whitson is getting married almost immediately, Donald Graham answered for Joan as the little car moved slowly forward. He did not hear a gasp from Elise Benet, who stood by the director's side. And as for acting, it was not acting on her part. You can keep your contracts for people whose lives aren't worth so much. My wife can't be spared. There was a smile on Joan's face as the car moved off. Contract? What did anything matter now that she had her man? Reading Between the Lines is proud to be sponsored by Friendship Society, The Oddfellows. If you've ever wondered what being a member of The Oddfellows means, we're delighted to be able to share some first-hand answers. I'm Peggy from Ipswich and um, I've been a member now for just over a year. Um, I wasn't very well and was sort of housebound and a friend told me she was going to Zoom meetings. So I asked her what Zoom meetings these were and she said from the Oddfellows. So that's what I did. I joined the Oddfellows and what it's done is it's given me company and it's made such a big difference. It's not nice when you're alone at home. So it's much nicer to have these friends on the screen and you know they'll always be there for you. My name is Sheila Robin and I live in Nottingham in Southwell. I joined the Odd Fellows when I came back from France and didn't have any friends in the UK anymore after having lived there for so long. With the Odd Fellows, I've had the occasion to go on all sorts of outings and had a brilliant time with lots of different people. Throughout September 2022, the Odd Fellows are celebrating Friendship Month. What better time to get involved and invite friendship into your life? 
With hundreds of events held across the country, like walks, picnics, and online quizzes, the Odd Fellows will show you the benefits of a local friendship group and make you feel at ease. To find out more about Friendship Month, give them a call today on 0800 028 1810 or visit oddfellows.co.uk. Join the community today. Now, let's get back to the story. Let me top up my coffee, grab some of my friends, and we'll have that little chat about it. That was the film star and her double, brilliantly read by Alex, who is also joining us today. Hello, Alex. Ah, yeah. We're also joined by Abby from the Fiction Team. Hello, Abby. Hello. And again by DC Thompson Archivist. Hello, David. Hiya. Now, I believe this is one you helped me pick out, Alex. So I'm going to pick on you first and just, you know, can you tell us about what about it grabbed your attention when you were flicking through those archive volumes? I don't know. I think I'm already, I think I'm always drawn to the ones that are about relationships, that are very specifically about romantic relationships. I know we did a lot of those kind of stories, but Mm -hmm. ones that kind of tell of the way that they would deal with situations at the time romantically. I thought it was... For, for most of it, the ending has quite an interesting twist to it, which we'll obviously get to in the conversation. But the, most of it, I actually really enjoyed the story itself. It was actually, I know sometimes we struggle, they haven't all aged amazingly well, and sometimes they're a little bit awkward to read or or understand. But this one I, I really enjoyed. Um, I really enjoyed reading right the way up to the, to the slightly unusual ending. Um, and I just thought, yeah, I just thought this was a, I just thought this was a good, good kind of rip roaring yarn. Oh, a um, rip roaring yarn. What phrase? <laughs> <laughs> and I think, to be honest, I think it's aged quite well. I think was what it was. The sort of, the slight sort of um, pretentiousness of Elsie, who becomes a lees once she's left the the village, and then she comes back, and she's a bit, you know, she's a bit full of herself. I thought, <laughs> I thought that aged really well. Whereas some stories don't, and I think this really, you know, this continue to engage even though it's been 92 years since it was well, yeah you can very much recognize these type the types of people that are yeah, in it exactly, so the whole yeah. elsie elise thing um really tripped me up when i was typing it because i'm yeah. like that's just too <laughs> close so i've probably done them the wrong way around a few times and also so it's elsie bennett that moves to Elise Benet, is it? Well, is, is it yeah. the French, is it? <laughs> before I actually, before I read this story, I had a word with um, Manon, our illustrations editor, because she's obviously French, um, for those who don't know. And she gave me a bit of a schooling in how to say the surname. Um, but I can quite understand. I, <laughs> I couldn't quite, it was lovely, but I couldn't quite grasp it. I think it was kind of Benet. Was, oh, how, okay. was how you would say if you were actually mm-hmm. French. But then I decided at the end, well, I think given that this is kind of an English person being slightly kind of pretentious, she's probably most likely to go down the sort of hyacinth bouquet route. Yeah. So she would go big. She would go Benet. She's very dramatic. Rather than the actual French saying, the way of saying it. So. It was giving me very Nigella Lawson, Marco Wave. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, how do I make my same name sound more... Yeah. Dramatic, like, <laughs> it reminds me there was a brilliant show that um, Penelope Keith was on where she referred to something instead of being turquoise as turquoise. turquoise. <laughs> 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 so but I decided I thought she's not she's obviously from sort of fairly humble beginnings so she would probably go Benet rather than Benet, Benet. which and I think might be the correct. 
since we're on Elsie, <laughs> what did what did everyone think of Elsie? I'm going to stick to Elsie, not Elise, but Abby, what did you think of Elsie? Oh, I think at one point she's described as insufferable. <laughs> <laughs> and is that an accurate enough description? Yeah, that is an accurate enough description. Um, I found it really interesting, obviously, because the protagonist has to remain likable as well. So I always find it interesting how you get around kind of having a really annoying character, but then having the protagonist react to that character. Mm -hmm. So she's very patient. She's always kind of pushing the, no, I'm going to give this girl another chance. I'm going to give this girl another chance. And it just keeps, she just keeps saying horrible stuff. Annoying <laughs> things like, oh, I, ho I hope you, you haven't forgotten me. Like knowing it's just fishing for compliments. And <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I wouldn't like to meet her in real life. <laughs> I wouldn't have had Joan's manners and patience. Like, immediately, Elsie, I was just like, oh. And it's the bit where, um, like, Elsie's just said something like, oh, well, since my dad died, I had to earn more of a living and get, like, this job that Elsie used to have. And instead of being like, oh, I'm sorry your dad died, or anything, she's just like, oh, I loathed it, but then you probably love it, don't you? Because it's so boring. <laughs> I've got that bit underlined because I felt seen. Because it's like, how I loathe those dry legal things. I spent a lot of time in archives dealing with dry legal things. It's just like, oh, fine. I'm never going to be a film star then. It's like, <laughs> no. And then Joan just shrugs faintly, and I'm like, shrug faintly I would go absolutely through her <laughs> there were times though when I thought Elsie Elise there was an element of um she was a bit conscious of how she was being mm. um and actually she felt a bit embarrassed by it at times but then the kind of the, the movie star persona came through and it's just like it's all about me mm. but there were times when I thought she was a little bit vulnerable but mm. then she'd snap out of it really quickly mm. yeah I mean you don't you don't hate her like she's not like she's not an antagonist and it does seem a little bit maybe she's just trying to kind of like like account for something maybe she feels like she's not she's a bit quite enough maybe. so yeah maybe yeah. she's kind of putting on this air because she feels she's not actually the movie star mm. i think she... we're giving more i think we're <laughs> giving her the background that she's def best desperately needs <laughs> yeah She's only been a star for three years, wasn't it? I think it said somewhere. Mm. Um, yeah. No, so she's not like 10 years down the line, but she's not quite Joan Collins kind of swanning around. It did. There was a sort of, like, I do agree, there was a slightly redemption moment where she's talking in the house with uh, Donald and they're reminiscing and she, she starts to sound a bit more humble and like the girl she used to be kind of thing. But then she's also seemingly trying to make Joan jealous and mm. steal mm. her love interest, not love interest, so... We also get a bit earlier on where it says Elise remembered that once she once she had actually envied this girl, not for her looks, but for her assured position. Now the tables were turned with a vengeance. <laughs> but that says a lot as well, that assured mm. position that, you know, she's obviously needing a lot of outward validation by becoming a movie star and things like that, whereas she's maybe quite jealous of the fact that Joan can just quite happily coast through her life and doesn't, yeah. doesn't need so much of that. Um we were we did mention briefly earlier, me and Abby were talking, we loved Miss Whitson and how much she just <laughs> goes through Elsie. Um Yeah, she couldn't pull the wool over her eyes, could you? <laughs> no. Elsie sighed wistfully. She's like, Oh, I have to become a I, I happen to be cursed with the artistic temperament and it's not a happy possession. And Miss Whitson just goes, Then why cultivate it? 
<laughs> just like, why? why? <laughs> <laughs> and it's just, I was saying, there's nothing better than when you maybe don't like someone that everyone else seems to love. And then you get someone else who sees through it as well. And you're like, yes, validation. <laughs> Especially when they're not shy to say it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just absolutely goes through it. It is. It's like your grandma at the family wedding. It's like, don't say it, mum. Don't say it. <laughs> she also has a, a deep, a caustic and deep voice, which just, I feel like it would just shut down any, <laughs> any of the rest of the conversation. Yes, I would have liked to have seen more of Miss Whitson. I know. And uh, what did we think of the characters and the characterizations in general? Good. I thought pretty credible, really. I mean, sometimes uh, it's, it's, it's you don't believe some of the characters we might read, but I thought Elise was entirely believable. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought you could understand why she was. You could see her kind of putting on these airs and graces, and you, you, it, was, it was it was credibly done. I thought you know picking herself up and the over-the-top sort of flirting um, and oh, acting was my destiny and all that. You could see, you could see the diva. You could see that, that, that it's a timeless, it's a timeless character in it. And I think that was, that, that worked really well. Joan, I thought was, I think it's just like it, it jars. If, if somebody does, obviously if somebody does something, you just wouldn't expect that character to do at any point in the story. And that never really happened to me right all the way up to the end where she chooses to, take the risk of diving into the into the lock and be the be the body double and she's obviously got this motivation to pay for the operation mm-hmm. um the it's just the it's just the end that sticks with me a little bit it just that's where <laughs> well, that's yeah. where the age of mm-hmm. it suddenly becomes really really apparent when they just whoosh, they just wrap it up in a couple of lines and she's um she's happy with the with the romantic ending but the but the so that, so I guess, yeah, Donald really then didn't really do much for me. But he's not really his bit part, isn't he? He doesn't really yeah. appear. There's not much of him in there. He's a bit taken over by Elsie, um, Elise. Uh, and, <laughs> <Just kidding>. and, <laughs> this, I do not like that. I think it's too confusing. Like, even now, we're like, Elise, mm. Elsie, which, you know, I just, it could have picked a completely different name. Should have changed it, yeah. <laughs> Call her Barbara or something. Yeah, it was like. <laughs> but no, I like that. I like that because it is the. Is it is that maybe it's maybe Hyacinth Bouquet is the only example I can think of, but I like that kind of slight twisting of of the way it is, um, just just to be a bit more pompous. I think that's I think that was a nice touch. I think if she'd gone for a completely different name, it wouldn't have had quite the it wouldn't have quite the sort of reek of desperation <laughs> that she does. So because you know she's not Charming. like she's just chosen a stage name. She's still she wants to kind of mm-hmm. fancy herself wants to up. Be her. it's, yeah, yeah. it's kind of it's kind of symbolic of of what she's done with her life. She feels like she's kind of leveled up. So she brings her name a level up as well. And, um, but uh, although she's annoying, I think she's a, she's just a really satisfying and not a full on bad guy. Like Abby was saying, she's not, she's not all no. out nasty, but she's a, yeah, she's a totally she's like a mosquito. She's, she's, yeah. She's good. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <buzzing> in her <laughs> ear. I like that. <laughs> Abby, what did you think of the characterizations? Do you have anything? Yeah, I really liked the characterization. I really like Joan. Um, she has a lot of agency in the story up until the end, as Alex was saying. Um, she had just had a near-death experience. It was all, yeah, you know. yeah. I think it was the it was the. We just got a bag of watches after yeah. swimming. It was just, I just like, nearly died across the lock. I'm quite hungry, but instead she's just like, oh, let's get married. <laughs> I think it was the bit where I mean, I think it is just after it's happened, but. There's kind of the 
the break in the story and then mm. the director mm -hmm. comes over and gives the check. And instead of letting Joan sort of say anything, Donald just goes, Miss Whitson is getting married almost immediately <laughs> and kind of like whips her away. <laughs> it's like, I'm her agent, stay away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but before that, she has a lot of different characteristics and you really get a feel for who she is mm -hmm. as a person. And I do think that she probably would be happy, you know, continuing her life in the village. But it's the fact that she doesn't actually explicitly say that that is what she would choose yeah. yeah my preference would be that she gets to marry the guy and also gets the amazing actress or double like yeah. Why body not double both? career yeah <laughs> yeah I, I yeah so i suppose we'll, we'll go on to the ending then i this is one of the rare occurrences where i'm actually quite happy that she just ended up being the wife because it's kind of saying that you know there's more important things than these dramatic Hollywood film star things in life. And, you know, I didn't want it to just become Elsie. So I was like, you know what? You know, I'm quite happy that they're saying, no, um, we're, we don't need any of that. We're happy just ourselves. But yeah, what, would you rather she become an actress or? Just, although I don't know how you would, I don't know how you would glam Joan. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Joanna or something. <laughs> But yeah, no, I just, it feels like it's, it's, it's just the speed of it. It's the speed yeah. of it. Do you know what I mean? If, if they could have just given it another line or two and just said, oh, Joan decided that she was happy with her, with her life as it was. And, and, you know, well, anyway, Donald's all right. Let's, let's get married or something like that. But that it's just like, I'm not even, I don't even need to know about anything else. I've got a bloke. End of. Yeah. That's it. That's done. That's just, it's too succinct. And I feel sometimes, sometimes some of our really early stories are, are guilty of that. The sudden romantic ending that leaps upon you yeah. with no, you know, real warning. Um, and, and the story was doing so well. Everything happens in quite a sort of timely manner. I felt nothing felt rushed right up until this point at the end where it was like, Whoa, we've run out of space. Yeah. <laughs> I actually wrote where he puts, Joan, Joan, say you'll marry me. I actually put, whoa, fast. <laughs> 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 but then her answer again is, um, he says, and do and do not those reckless things again. And she says, I suppose <laughs> it's like it's not exactly like a, a passionate. I yes. actually said, it's like, said John weakly. Yeah, it's kind yeah, of like. And this is her first thought is, well, I won't have time. It's just yeah. like, well, okay. Yeah, I'll be a can... wife, so I won't have time to do anything right. Just gone straight into subservience. Subservientness. That one. That <laughs> one. <laughs> but we actually worked a, we worked a little bit on that line, didn't we? Or I think you guys asked me to say it again because I said it, that, that she was just like, well, I guess I won't have any time. <laughs> I was, and we went again and tried to, I tried to inject uh, a little bit of humor into it that we think that maybe she was saying it with a bit of humor like i suppose yeah, yeah. i suppose that i don't have time like um, ah. yeah. <laughs> um, which makes it a bit more yeah which makes it a bit more acceptable i think if, uh, if she's saying that with a bit of because i do buy the romance i do buy the like you have a near-death experience or like someone this this um sort of rival figure comes in your life and makes you realize how much you like your like best friend i get that but all you, you were right it just needed like an extra line just to say that it was her decision <laughs> mm. <laughs> i just read it just say there was a smile on john's face as the car moved off so i guess yeah. that's kind of the clue that she is happy with <laughs> what's happened and also um i think for me it's just the marry me thing like i i really think the story works as in like two best friends realizing that they have feelings for each other 
Um, but maybe if you just said, oh, Joan, will you go like, will you go out yeah. with me? <laughs> no, yeah. will you That's marry date me? First. <laughs> yeah. date, date formally. Just yes. wasn't the done thing at the time. I don't think it's mm. all of them are yeah, very that's much. That's the thing. I don't know. There's a there's a there's a Disney film out at the moment, and towards the end of it, um, there's a there's a bloke who just wants to marry anybody that he meets, <laughs> and um, he switches from one member of the family to another, and, and basically, as soon as he sets eyes on her, he just says let's get married and she says slow down <laughs> and I kind of feel like there's a there's a maybe a lack of, there's, well, there's definitely a lack of that in this story that she could have I don't know maybe that's modern sensibilities though because I think these yeah. days you'd be like do you know what Joan I've been an idiot let's go to the movies and have a Nando's but not see one of Elise's <laughs> films Nando's. presumably <laughs> <laughs> I guess comparing it to like a Disney film of the time would have been Snow White so and in yeah. that or Cinderella yeah. where she don't even they don't even know the, each other's names or who her, yeah. ident- her identity it's like if the shoe fits <laughs> literally yeah. like. it's pretty much like I've seen you I like the look of you that'll do let's get married <laughs> and it's an interesting point because in the previous stories where we've had this kind of immediate wrap up let's get married you're now my wife. Right. I think the discussion was kind of like, oh, maybe it's to do with the word counts, that they didn't have as much time. But I've accidentally uh, picked much longer stories this time around, and you still have that kind of issue. So I don't know if it is a word limit problem or just, or just, a, just uh, that's just what they wanted. Yeah, that's just, they yeah. just wanted a nice little packaged... I mean, to be fair, they're, 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 the rest of the story, they're trying to concentrate on... Elsie and Joan's slight kind of antagonism of each other and build on that. But you do, you're obviously aware that she's been, Joan has been working with Donald and there is a backstory. Mm-hmm. They've been to dances. There is, that is, that is peppered in there. They've seasoned it with this kind of backstory of They've romance. essentially been dating for five years basically. and not realising it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. But yeah, and yeah, yeah, they've been going to dances together and stuff. So it is there. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, just, yeah. Just, just a little bit too Surprised quick. me in some ways, because I would have thought Miss Whitson, the, the, the mother, might have picked up on it a little bit. Because she's yeah. going, she goes on about how Donald's head's been turned by the film star and all this kind of stuff. But yeah. She yeah. would have seen it, maybe. But Do we think Donald's head did get turned? Or do you think he was just... I, I found it a kind of lovable obliviousness, where he yeah. was just like, well, she's a nice woman, let's make a new friend, not realising that she was trying to like advance on him. I don't think he saw it that way. I thought because otherwise he'd have. Well, he didn't take her to the dance as his date. He he got his wingman to take yeah. her. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but obviously was chatting away. I think he just got a little bit starstruck. Yeah, because I found it quite interesting. Because at the beginning, he obviously he calls John John, and John's like, oh, I wish you'd call me Miss Whitson because it's too personal, kind of thing. And then later, near the end, after they rescued John. He specifically calls Elise Miss Binet. And I thought that was quite interesting that he's treating her quite formally mm. and is not feeling that kind of closeness. Yeah. And, but maybe I'm reading too much into it. No, that's a good, um, a good differentiation between like the two the, relationships. Yeah. The, yeah. Um, and my last note just on the, on the ending, which I thought was very, like, as much as we don't like Elsie or, you know, she's a bit annoying, I thought it was quite harsh. That Donald goes, you can keep your contract for people whose lives aren't worth so much. My wife can't be spared. And I'm like, that's a bit harsh. It's a bit <laughs> like slapping the face, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> Poor Elsie. Just basically say, like, you're not worth anything. I also think she kind of, because it says that she's gone kind of white at the end. So I got the feeling that she was kind of, all of the kind of pretense went away in that moment. She was mm. just worried for 
Joan, that's what that's how I interpreted that bit. Uh, I'm really I, being, I, sorry, go on. Yeah, so I was going to say, I read that as like, oh God, that could have been me. Oh, yeah, yes. that could <laughs> also be an interpretation, the cynical. <laughs> I'm giving her too much credit. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, um, I, I also slightly like her as well for um, Joan. That is, I slightly like her for the, the moment she has, which I think is kind of, I kind of been, ever so slightly vindictive, but completely understandable, but the moment she has in the middle of the loch where she's like, I could, I could possibly die. I'm not doing very well. You know, I might drown. But but Elsie's going to, you know, Elsie's going to feel really bad about it. So, it's, you know, it's, it's, almost, it's almost worth it. And then, of course, she remembers that she's, the, the money's needed for the Aunt Mary's operation mm-hmm. and all this sort of stuff. But I, I, I just like that little touch as well where she just, you know, she's just like, Whoa, you know, they're going to... They're going to rue the day that they sent me out. And, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I She's just... going to like haunt that water forever. A leg of the law. John Wood. Let's let's talk, let's talk about that actually because that's that's probably this was a bit of a cookie cutter romance and they were cookie cutter characters. Do you know what I mean? And there was John who was pretty arguably bland but likable. Elsie's <laughs> the like you know not antagonist but the rival and the love interest and all that. Um, but what did make it difference was this sort of dangerous adventure mm. element and it was quite um heart in mouth kind of thing of like oh god you know it's yeah. quite exciting as she's fighting for her life basically i definitely found myself like speeding up when i was reading mm-hmm. that bit i was like oh my god what's gonna happen mm. <laughs> kind of turning the page quickly to see what was gonna happen next mm. but i kind of like jones in a monologue all the way through the story which felt a bit, well, it's all told from her point of view. So I kind of like that element of it, of mm-hmm, what's mm-hmm. going on inside her brain. And actually you realise she's a much better actress than Elise is. Yeah. She had to put on that, oh, I'm being really polite to her, but I know that I really want to punch her in the face. Yeah. It's just, it's sort of, I shouldn't really talk in these violent terms. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's like she, she, she you know, she realises that she doesn't mm-hmm. particularly like the way that she behaves or the way that she speaks and she, she bites her tongue. Yeah. But um, and even at the end, you know, it's like as Alex was saying, it's um, it's all kind of like, okay, right, but I'm going to do this just to prove her, so she can't. Uh. Yeah, that's mm. actually a really good point. The fact that John is kind of acting the whole way mm-hmm. through, just as she is. But she's never. I also like the fact that, in my opinion, the the thing that she does, the sort of catalyst thing in the story that moves everything along, the, the jumping, the accepting. Of the of the role to jump in and be the body double, uh, you know she's not. It's not put. It's not beyond the realms of possibility. Again, it's another thing that I found like appealing about the story. Like it's not. It's not a completely mad idea. Like she mm-hmm. was aware the burn was overflowing. They they put they give her a good reason. She's she's not put in some sort of flippant thing that a, that like a silly woman might do. I'm doing speech marks that people obviously can't see there, but some you some, can hear them. You can in hear them in the my tone. Yeah, <laughs> I I think some of the stories we've read, the 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 thing that has moved the action along. You can tell I work for features and not for fiction. I don't know that word. I'm sure it has a word, but um, it's it's credible. You know, it's like she she some she weighs it up. She's like all the money. She's given a motive. Aren't she they? hesitates. She doesn't just go, "Yeah, I'll jump off a cliff." She, yeah, she walk up. and she considers the state of the of the burns leading into it are in spate and stuff. And she thinks about it and she says, "Well, I've got to have a crack because the money's going to be worth it and stuff." I quite, I, I was grateful for that. I think that is another thing that helped the story was that her her action, which kickstarted all the action, 
was was believable. Mm-hmm. I think you know the choice she made was believable and um, honourable. She's yeah. trying to help her aunt. Yeah, I was going to say it's not a decision that most people would make. I don't no. think like a lot of people would just go no <laughs> and and move on. Like I think it. <laughs> I think it makes her stand out as a character. It kind of shows that she's brave and maybe a little bit stupid to do that, <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I thought she had quite a lot of inner grit I thought yeah, there was quite yeah. a lot of um, that's a good, a good, good word uh, yeah. that there's, yeah, she, she, she's, she's got a backbone yeah because yeah. Elise wouldn't do it yeah right. no. and it no. kind of says like she's done it before like she's swam that before so but she also as an aboriginal it. local or whatever oh, that, that, yeah. that horrible native. phrases that they used yeah. a couple of times about oh you native to here all this kind of yeah. stuff it's like you know the london executives in it's just like um yeah. she know you know <laughs> anybody who lives near water knows when water's dangerous and when it's not um mm. so yeah she she's got that knowledge but i i kind of liked her for that yeah as, as alex is saying i was like you know it was completely believable why she'd yeah. do it but if her aunt hadn't been ill she'd probably said no yeah, because mm. she's sensible, yeah. our John. Yeah, she yeah. Did. <laughs> yeah. But it's also uh, it's like two thousand two hundred eighty-one pounds that she she was being oh. offered. Because I looked oh, it up. I looked it up. Quick maths. Yeah. No, <laughs> definitely not quick maths. It was um, a, like online calculator. Calculator. Um, so that was that was fifty pounds back then. Was would now be two thousand two hundred eighty-one. Whoa. And she ends up with 70, wasn't it? I can't remember. Yeah. yeah. You ups it to 70. That's 3,194. <laughs> <laughs> that, was that quick? <laughs> no. <laughs> Sorry, a cancer on the phone. <laughs> this, this is the thing I kind of wanted to, to talk about is this, um, I guess this period was like the boom of Hollywood and cinema and things like that. And in these sort of 1930s volumes, we do get a few stories popping up about being a film star. There's another one later in the season. Um, it kind of feels very much like anyone could just up and leave and go to London and become a film star. Like, Joan just wanders into a movie set and they're like, <laughs> you, <laughs> get on camera and then get paid thousands of pounds equivalent to. Um, so, yeah, I just found that quite interesting, to be honest. Would it have been silent films at this time? I'm not quite sure when talkies started. Well, My I brain googled goes... the actresses that she mentions at the beginning was, uh, and Swanson, that was silent it? movie. Yeah, so, so you, were, you were employed for your looks, not for your talent, or not for your voice talent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, That's very true. Hmm. Um, it kind of reminds me of the way you sort of, you know, younger folk. I say younger folk, that makes me sound really old. <laughs> but you know how like people want to become YouTubers or influencers on social mm-hmm. media because it's that thing that feels like anyone could do it. Like you yeah. just turn up and you become a YouTuber. Almost at this time feels like you just turned up to London mm. and became a film star. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that was obviously like the key aspiration of the day, I guess, wasn't that that people would go and make their name in movies. Um, so yeah, that kind of makes a, makes a lot of sense. What did we think of the illustration? Um, which, again, as always, I will share with our readers or listeners, even. Um, but it's—I understand why they've chosen this one because it's all three of them sat down in the living room, and it's the dinner scene, I guess, when they, when Elsie comes around for dinner. And I think it's the only bit where you get all the characters together. But I just sometimes I just feel like they pick the most boring scenes to illustrate. I'm like, why would you not have one of her like fighting the rapids, trying to like, <laughs> swimming for her life? Harder to draw. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we also like, when we're doing the illustration briefs for the mm. stories, we try not to give away too much okay. from like towards the second half of the story. So we probably wouldn't put like that bit, but I could, 
I did wonder why there was no like film set involved or you know like a director mm -hmm. standing there something to kind of give the idea of Hollywood the mm. glitz kind of the thing. glam not that it would be Hollywood but near enough I do like <laughs> the style though yeah the I just styles and the dresses I love the whole aesthetic of all the older issues and stuff and again this is a this is a front page one again isn't it it's oh yeah there. yeah I mean they're clearly making the point that Elsie and Joan look close enough to oh I didn't pick I up hadn't on that I had noticed either. that no. yeah I guess I guess that's what they're doing as well or the, just yeah. everyone had that hairstyle oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I don't know even him as well by the way yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we'd have been drawn by one of the staff artists in the building so you know, the building where we're recording this it would have been Done here, it wouldn't have been done by a freelancer. We had an art department that would have done all these bits and pieces for this and for the comics and for... Hmm. They're all and, fabulously drawn. Yeah. yeah. I'd, I'd love to know which team did it as well because there was actually two art departments. There was the lady artists and the men artists and they <laughs> weren't allowed to work together. So it'd be <laughs> fascinating to know which ones did this lot. <laughs> That's amazing. That I is amazing. Why weren't they allowed to work together? <laughs> <laughs> that was the time <laughs> they were just asking each other to marry each other all the time yeah. <laughs> like I just got swept away with the romance of it all <laughs> would you draw this for me because I can't do it so. can we make can we get that as a story in the friend like two staff yeah, a staff writer would, and an artist that would be such a good story if any writers are listening <laughs> the downside of that time is that as soon as you got married you'd have to give up the job oh yeah that's oh. true yeah um, I suppose so common on, across all sorry. occasions. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, on that scene here. <laughs> no, as our fiction representative, Abby, mm -hmm. how does this compare to what we published today? Would we publish it? What would we change about it? Um, I really, I really do like the story. It is just that ending that would obviously change these days because that wouldn't be a realistic mm -hmm. ending to have now. Um, I have made a few notes about like how I really like the writing. There's a few like kind of subtle things that shows the difference between the two girls. So near the beginning, it says Joan laughed and uh, taking the slim hand in its pale coloured glove into her own sunburned palm. And I mm -hmm. thought that kind of shows like the difference in class. Yeah. There, without overtly saying it. <laughs> um, I really like the dialogue. That's another note that I made. Like the conversation between, the first conversation between Donald and Joan was just kind of like, you could tell they were good friends and they mm -hmm. had that kind of relationship. It definitely kept my interest the whole way through and I wanted to know what was going to happen. Yeah. So it's just yeah. that ending. Just the ending. We would maybe would... make her a film star and a wife. <laughs> why not? I'll give her reasons <laughs> as to why she just wants to stay in a yeah. village. Like, mm -hmm. That's perfectly mm -hmm. fine as well. But as long as, you know, she has, that is her decision. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I get the author, Dorothy Pollock, do we have any information about our Dorothy? I couldn't find much, no. but I had, compared to some of the people that we got on the podcast, <laughs> <laughs> I actually found a little bit. And even then, I think I might be clutching at straws. So she did have a novel published by John Leng, who were the publishers of The People's Friend mm -hmm. um, and who ultimately became part of DC Thompson. Um called uh what's it called uh love's own sweet way which is published in the 1930s which puts it around this time mm -hmm. but she's not in any of our indexes as a stereo story contributor to the to the magazine 
So she's only writing short stories, but she's obviously done a novel. Also, it looks like her name might actually have been Mrs. Wellesley Smith. Right. Um, because I found a reference in the British Library to other things written um, where it gave uh, Wellesley Smith as a, a pseudonym of um, Dorothy Pollock. Okay. So I think that's it. So she, and she was also writing for some of our other titles at the time. Mm. If it is Mrs. Wellesley Smith. So she was using Dorothy Pollock in one magazine mm-hmm. and another name in another magazine, which is not unusual. Annie S. Swan did that with yeah. us. You know, she published as David Lyle in other magazines and in The People's Friend as well, just to make it really confusing. Um, so she was writing in Red Letter where she did a story called The Minx in 1920. Ooh. I don't think there's any relation to Minnie um, <laughs> from another title in our stable. Um, and... But it also looks like she got published in some English newspapers as well. So I found reference to um, a story she did called The Red Satin Shoe in the um, much-read Ripley and Heena News and Ilkeston Division Free Press uh, in 19-something or other. I can't read my own writing. So. <laughs> well, the more you know. It sounds like, it might, it sounds like similar kind of things and, and yeah. themes. Yeah, very much so. that kind of popular fiction mm-hmm. coming from someone who's not quite made it as a professional writer, but yeah. is getting that kind of recognition in mm-hmm. popular press. So she kind assumed of, a double-barreled name, or was she the double-barreled? Do we know which one? I suspect she just got married at some point. And <laughs> went. <laughs> it's just like, but, you know, I, I did have a quick look on various censuses and um, resources out there, you know, but I couldn't find any, a, a Wellesley Smith that seemed to definitely be her. Yeah, from that it's period. quite a unique name. Yeah, yeah, so there weren't many Wellesley Smiths, but I didn't have enough information to say that's that's mm-hmm. her and that's mm-hmm. her marriage and everything. So that was very interesting, though. I was just curious to know if she'd done the same thing that Elise or Elsie yeah. had done, <laughs> <laughs> and she'd given herself a double barrel name. When yeah, yeah, <laughs> they do it. They 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 did it just to spite future archivists. That's why. <laughs> oh, it's just the records aren't released yet. <laughs> one day, one day. Uh, I think we will move on to then our finale rating out. We've changed it to five stars, by the oh, way, okay. even though I've allowed half stars, which just makes it a <laughs> 10 point system anyway. But <laughs> hey, we'll, we'll go with five stars. Um, let's start with Alex. What's your rating out of five? Um, I, I'm going to give it a four, I think. Um, uh, really enjoyed it. Just that ending. Not a complete surprise, not a terrible ending, just a little bit hurried. Mm-hmm. Um, but the rest of it was a satisfying read. And, and like, just like Abby said, there were points where you find yourself kind of rushing ahead because it's doing a good job and it's pulling you through the story. So I think, yeah, a solid four for me, I think. David? Yeah, I'd agree. I'd go with a four. <clears throat> it's the, the ending's just a bit... Yeah, well, we've discussed it. <laughs> we know what it's like. Yeah, and I just enjoyed it as a bit of a... It's wrong. I mean, it describes itself as a thrilling story of a film adventure. Um, and I kind of think, compared to some of the subtitles that these stories get in this magazine, this one actually almost lived up to it. Yeah. Whereas some of them are like, no, I don't see the adventure in this. I'm, sorry, I'm lacking something. So it's a four from me. I am also going to jump on the bandwagon and go with a four. I liked the adventure. I liked the drama. It's not something you get a lot in the stories, so I appreciated it. And Abby, final... Well, it's a four all around then, because, yeah, <laughs> yeah I was thinking of giving it a four as well, um, just for all the same reasons that yeah. we yeah. said. Yeah. Fabulous. Well, we will leave it there, and I will 
give a thank you to Alex for narrating the story for us and to Abby and David for joining us for the discussion and to you for listening. All that's left for me to say is until this week of friends gets together again for another story from the friend to you, cheerio. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of Reading Between the Lines. Follow on your podcast app today so you don't miss out on our next story and check our previous episodes for more from the Friend Archives. We would be delighted if you were to recommend this podcast to your friends. If you don't already get the People's Friend magazine delivered, because you listen to Reading Between the Lines, you have an exclusive offer to subscribe to get your first 13 issues for just £6. Check the episode notes for details and terms. And for more from The People's Friend, visit thepeoplesfriend.co.uk, subscribe to our newsletter, or find us on Facebook and Twitter. Here's you back. There's a dainty little journal that has read both far and near. It has had a host of rivals, still it stands without a peer. It is bright and entertaining from the first page to the end, and is known to its admirers as the dear old people's friend. A charming little journal is the friend. Of good things it is such a happy blend. That to read it at your leisure is a pleasure without measure The friend to friends in trouble recommend They won't be happy till they get the friend